Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Oh, I always get such a kick out of that opening. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure, my co-producer and the VP. I say of everything at Voice America Radio. Thank you, Ryan. The future of now. We are here. I've got a very interesting topic for you today. Let me just ask my listeners. You can't answer me, but I hope you're thinking about an answer. Are you depressed when you go on Facebook and everybody is so wonderful and happy and gorgeous and has successful lives? Are you looking at Pinterest and saying, I don't have anything interesting to post? Are you being basically just put under the gun to be someone else or to think a different way when you go on social media? Well, I have news for you. You might not need a therapist like walk in, sit on the couch, yes, Freud, or do anything like we always used to do, talk therapy, couch therapy, medical therapy, but there's now something called cyber psychology. Aha. And it functions in a couple of ways. One, it's there for you remotely. And two, it's to talk about what's happening with us and the internet. So let me read a definition here. According to Wikipedia, yes, there's already an entry on Wikipedia, cyber psychology, aka internet psychology, web psychology, and digital psychology is the study of the human mind and behavior and how the culture of technology, specifically virtual reality and social media, affect us. Oh my, hot topics. These might be something that's bothering you. Online identity. Who are you and who do you want to be? Who were you? Can you get rid of that person? I don't know. Online relationships. Well, cyber dating. I think a lot of People, I didn't say us, have been doing that for years. Personality types in cyberspace. Do you have an avatar? Do you have a clone? Do you have somebody you would like to be in another world? Transference to computers. We all saw the movie Her. Addiction to computers and internet. I won't go there. Regressive behavior in cyberspace, online gender switching, and a lot more. And by the way, media psychology is also an emerging specialty. And there's also cyber psychiatry, which covers virtual reality, telepsychiatry, transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's giving me a headache. And chatbot therapists. Oh my. So with a rising number of internet and computer users around the world, computer technology's effects on our human psyche will significantly shape our interactions with each other and our perceptions of the world. Literally tap, tap, tap on that keyboard at our fingertips. I have four specialists, experts, really, really, really savvy people who are passionate about this topic and they're going to help take us through this new world of cyber psychology. So we're calling a cyber psychology. What would Dr. Freud say? He might turn over in his grave. We don't know. He's probably done that a lot recently. So I'm going to tell you my panelists are Chris Kalabukas. We're welcoming him back. He was on a little while ago. Linda Roth, also Linda J. Roth, the real Linda J. Roth is with us. Jacob Perkins is with us. And Roberta A. Moore. Roberta is our newcomer. Welcome to my wonderful panel. I'm on Zoom. I can see them. They all look fabulous. So I get to see their nuances and their emotions. I get to watch them think. How about that? So we will convey that verbally to the audience audience. Welcome again. This is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Chris Kalabukas, welcome back. And Chris, why don't you take a couple minutes and tell us who you are in case, just in case, there's two people in the whole world who didn't hear you when you're on the show recently, and there might be a half of a person who already didn't know who you are. So talk to that one and a half persons. Go ahead, Chris. 
Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on again. This is great. Um, so my name is Chris Kalabukas. I'm a philosopher, engineering futurist. That's right. I have a weird combination of events, uh, pulling myself together, my personality. And uh, I run a company called Hello Future, which is uh, specializes in bringing companies into the future. We help them sort of map out where the future is for them, their their customers, their products and services, et cetera. So I've been doing this for, I don't know, maybe about 20, 30 years. I've always been a futurist. I've always been interested in the future. Uh, when I was a kid, I would be underneath the covers, reading science fiction novels with my with a flashlight, just making sure that it, you know I wanted to live in the future worlds that I've been seeing. So that's that's what I made my profession. Thank you very much. What's your quick take, Chris, about cyber psychology? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it ugly? Is it the future? Is it something we should all be signing up for? Is there a virtual couch? Talk to me. Sure. Let me ask, let me ask you something. If there was an actual psychoactive drug that you could take that whenever it sensed the difference in your mood, it would actually change its chemical composition to make you happy or sad like on the fly, right? If there was a drug like that, we would probably be banning it. We'd probably be saying, you know, this is terrible. We have a war on drugs on it. But you know what? That's what social media is today. So social media is an constantly changing outrage machine that just drives your emotions to a higher and higher pitch. So a lot of the technology that we're talking about that helps to save us in cyber psychology is actually stuff that we've done to ourselves through being addicted to to these technologies. Thank you very much. Good overview. And now let's go to our second panelist, welcoming back Linda J. Roth. Linda, so nice to see you again, and you look wonderful. And please introduce yourself to that 1.2 people around the world who don't know who you are, don't remember. And what's your passion for this topic, Linda? Well, thank you very much, Bonnie, for having me back again. I've enjoyed being on your show. We've covered a lot of different topics. Um, like Chris, I've been in technology since uh, the very beginning, but unlike Chris, it, it wasn't my childhood thing. I sort of fell into it when I went to college and didn't know what I was going to do, and, and some uh, far-thinking uh, counselor suggested I go and take information technology, and so I've been in it since the very early years, and for the last 30 years, I've been helping companies transform themselves through the various stages of technological change, and I've just written a book It'll be published in the next few weeks called Digital Transformation, How to Survive and Thrive in a Digital Economy. Very cool. What do you say? Cyber psychology, a real deal, Linda? Or is it just something that people are talking about? No, I think it is a real deal. Um, as with anything, there's pros and cons to technology and to things like social media, et cetera, and, um, and, and more interaction. I think one of the biggest things is as we move forward in technology, especially with artificial intelligence, we're going to have more and more interaction with computers and, and technology. And so it's going to bring advantages and disadvantages. And so cyberpsychology helps work through those things. Thank you very much. Let's go to Jacob Perkins. Jacob, you're all green on your video and you look like you're in a, a setting from, I don't know what kind of a movie, but it's very dramatic. The Hulk. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, he, he's the incredible Hulk. <laughs> he's incredible. You wouldn't like me when I'm mad. Well, keep it incredible. Jacob, please reintroduce yourself to my audience. Hi, my name's Jacob. Um, I am a millennial who was born right at the, I would say, the perfect time for understanding digital transformation. Companies were changing. I had a background in globalization. Globalization was taking a larger precedence. 
and I'm also a practitioner working with frontline staff in healthcare industries. So for me, my background entails a lot of transdisciplinary work. I am a licensed um, clinical social worker in the state of Missouri with a strong background in cyber social work and digital transformation, particularly in healthcare. So for me right now, seeing um, how the pandemic is reshaping a lot of our healthcare service lines, that's kind of bringing bringing home what the impact of digital transformation is for the consumer, especially um, in um, with healthcare um, consumers. Yeah. Jacob, would you think that cyber psychology is something people would be lining up for in terms of, well, let's just talk about the practicality of not being able to go to a doctor's office right now and you need to talk to somebody, uh, pick up the phone, go on Zoom, go on Skype, go on Teams. Is this something that's getting, just briefly, uh, gaining in popularity already? It's gaining in popularity if you count the number of peer-reviewed journal articles across formal journals that are identified as being for cyber psychology. I think theoretically there's a lot of missing pieces with defining what the the actual discipline is because it's so transdisciplinary, right? We're bringing, there's clinical psychologists working on research teams with um, IT developers trying to figure out how what we're doing has an impact on neurocognitive systems. So we're still kind of defining what the scope of this discipline is, but it's definitely needed moving forward. Thank you very much. And now our newcomer to the panel, Roberta Amor. She's smiling. She's waving. Can't wait to meet her. Roberta, please tell us what you do and what is your passion for the topic and talk to me. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm a, I'm a former CPA turned licensed marriage and family therapist as well as executive coach. So I'm the founder of Conscious Choices Corporation and also the EQI Coach. So I have two lines of service. One is a psychotherapist and the other as an executive coach. And I specialize in emotional intelligence. So that's that's the ability to manage, contain, control, and use your emotions in a positive way. And that drips over into my couples therapy as well. Um, I'm licensed in three states. And the reason I mention that is because it drifts into my passion about this topic. Jacob already touched on it. So thank you, Jacob. When I was moving my practice from North Carolina to St. Louis, that was about seven or eight years ago, my colleagues were horrified that I was going to do what was called telemental health. My clients in North Carolina wanted to stay with me, uh, and I had to get extra training for that at that time. Now these things are being relaxed because of COVID and the pandemic, and I'm very excited about that. Very, very interesting, Roberta. That brings into questions, and we'll talk in our predictions round about how you get to be a cyber psychologist. If I just put out, put up a website, uh, Bonnie the Shrink, uh, call me or email me and I gave a, a permanent Zoom link and I said, pick an appointment. You can have 20 minutes with me from 11 to 11.20 and then I need a glass of water and then 11.30 to 11.40 and then I'll have my lunch and then I'll tell people when and they just start signing up and I have a credit card taker, whatever it is, a Venmo and they pay in advance and I give the... Am I allowed to do that, Roberta, or is that still, thank God, forbidden? No, that is still, thank God, forbidden. <laughs> Unless you call yourself a coach. There's, there are no regulations in the coaching industry. Well, that's the issue right now. There's cyber psychological ethics, and it's evolving. 
And there's YouTube influencers who have seen certain populations need mental health needs. And they've said, if you have anything, just, just, just message me, right? So then you see this vulnerable youth. Oh, my God, my, my idol, my influencer that I follow who has, you know, a million followers just reached, told me I can contact them. I'm in distress and I contact them. Well, that person's not necessarily trained. So there was a prominent case two weeks ago. This came out in um, several magazines of that kind of happening. So there's, there's, there's cyber psychological ethics right now that we're having conversations around spaces, places, and who can kind of do what for certain needs. Very, very interesting. I have a friend who tells me that uh, one of his that one of his children, let's just leave it at that, has a thriving coaching business and uh, takes calls 24 hours a day. And it's hooked up to a credit card prepayment system. And people call and just say, okay, I need help. And, and this person gives them help. And no matter where this person travels or lives around the country or even in Europe, they are available to their quote unquote clients and they dispense advice on the clock. And I just find that interesting. I have a, a bachelor's degree in psychology. I never used it professionally, but I know, and I had a relative who's no longer with us, who uh, was a licensed psychologist in the state of New Jersey. And she was horrified about having a Facebook page or having something that would have given too much information. She went by strictly by the rules. She's been gone about three years now, but she strictly by the rules. No, I will not be out there. Yes, I will follow the guidelines of the New Jersey Psychological Association. I will not put myself out there for people to know more about me than they need to know. I am a professional and I know those lines now are all blurring. So let's get to the part of the show. Thank you all for your wonderful introductions. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, and I, I might be calling all of you for some therapy after the show. Let's see how we do. So let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my panelists to send me a quote from a book, a movie, a song, somebody famous who's about to be famous. I don't know. I'll read a little on the background and then we'll ask them, just take two minutes, please, to explain why you picked the quote and what in the world it has to do with our topic today. And if you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the future of now number 55. It's been over a year since I've been doing this show, and the topic is cyber psychology. What would Dr. Freud say? Okay, and all kinds of other people who wouldn't believe what we're doing today. So here is the quote. Chris Kalaboukas has picked a quote from George Orwell. Those of you might remember him from, he wrote the allegorical novella Animal Farm and the dystopian novel 1984. He wrote it back in 1949. I won't tell you how old that is. George Orwell, real name, Eric Arthur Blair, 1903 to 1950, known by his pen name, George Orwell, English novelist, essayist, journalist, critic, known for his lucid prose. Oh, I only wish I could write lucid prose. Biting social criticism, okay, opposition to totalitarianism, and outspoken support of democratic socialism. He has been ranked in 2008 among the 50 greatest British writers since 1945, and he came in number two. Here's the quote Chris has selected. The essence of being human is that one does not seek perfection. Ooh, Chris, that's a good one. Talk to me. So I feel that most people think that human beings are flawed, right? I mean, most people are flawed. I mean, sometimes you see it in religions, such as Christianity, where they talk about original sins, things like that. So we're always seeking to be better. We're always seeking to improve ourselves. I mean, if you go to the self-help section in any bookstore, it's massively overbooked. There's tons and tons of books on everything. And there's, it's a whole industry of people trying to improve themselves, trying to be better. 
And the thing is, is that in some cases, we're trying to use technology to improve ourselves. And sometimes we use technology to make ourselves worse. So I'm on the side of taking that, taking that technology and actually using it to improve ourselves as humans. So even though Orwell says that we shouldn't seek perfection. I think we all try to seek as much perfection as we possibly can. And I think it's important that we all think about using technology to become better humans. Chris, I have a question for you on that. When I opened the show, I talked about our people getting, feeling down about looking at all the perfect people on Facebook and on Pinterest and Instagram. And and I wish I could make videos like that on TikTok or wherever, wherever your friends or your wannabe friends are, are posting. Do you think that this is an actual phenomenon, this needing to be perfect because everybody I know looks perfect because oh, yeah. Yeah, only yeah. post the perfect Absolutely, picture? absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. So in the days before the internet and days before Facebook, I mean, we only knew about people who are around us, right? You know, keeping up with the Joneses, people in our in our local area. And now since we're connected to everybody else on the internet, we can be, we can feel envy against everybody else. And an envy is a super powerful emotion. It's one of those things human beings really have a tough time pushing back. I mean, you can see it even in, in, in monkeys. I mean, it's not just a human thing. And uh, the problem with this is that we see all this great stuff that other people seem to have. And you know, that's the other thing about Facebook and all these other social media. They very rarely post anything negative. They always post wonderful things about their life. Yep. So everybody thinks everybody else's life is so wonderful. And the problem is, is that we we don't have a buffer between this stuff coming at us and what the tech giants are doing. So the s- companies like Facebook they just, they're just trying to get more clicks. They just want more views. So they don't really care how it's affecting my psychological uh, sense, right? So they'll, they'll send me whatever they think I, I want to look at and whatever will bring them more views. But what we really need is an AI buddy to actually help us filter that to say, you know what, some of these, some of these images and some of these things are going to make us unhappy. You know, let's not show them to my human because you know, that'll make them unhappy. But we don't have that sort of filtering going on right now. We have the tech companies doing the filtering for us, and it's falling way behind. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I stopped going on Facebook for that reason. I was tired of having to spend a half hour every day clicking like or love or hand claps to all the beautiful people and all their beautiful dinner parties where their 25 grandchildren and all the fabulous restaurants are eating in and all the gorgeous cars. They exactly. Bought, and how brilliant their niece is, who I can't tell in a picture with 22 people, which is the niece who yeah. just graduated from where? I don't know. And frankly, good have a good life. Linda Roth, Linda J. Roth, let's go to your question. You sent us a quote from HAL 9000, HAL 9000, H-A-L, everybody who is uninitiated, that is heuristically programmed algorithmic, H-A-L, computer. First appeared in the 1968 film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. HAL is a sentient computer or general artificial intelligence, general, let me get that backwards, artificial general intelligence that controls the system on the Discovery One spacecraft and interacts with the ship's crew. It's voiced by originally Douglas Rain in the two feature films adaptions of the Space Odyssey series. And Hal speaks in a soft, calm voice and a conversational manner. In contrast to the crewman, here's the quote. I am putting myself, let me see if I can do this like Hal, Linda. I am putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all I think that any conscious entity can ever hope to do. How'd I do, Linda? Great, great, Bonnie. <laughs> Too kind. <laughs> well, I, I picked this quote because we're kind of talking about the interaction of humans and computers. And it's, it's growing. And, of course, artificial intelligence is getting close. 
to where Hal is, you know, in 2001, A Space Odyssey. It's taken more than since 2001, but it is coming there. I don't know that I would ever call artificial intelligence a conscious entity, but I picked it because I think that what we as humans, which are conscious entities, do strive to do is to do put ourselves to our fullest possible use and be as good as we can possibly be. And um, I think in the future, as we use artificial intelligence and other technology in a positive way, it will help us to be um, more than we could possibly be on our own and put ourselves to the fullest possible use. Thank you very much. Good quote. I appreciate that. Let's go to the quote Jacob has selected from Vincent Freeman. This is a new one for me, Jacob. Vincent Freeman, a fictional, fictional character in the film Gattaca. And that is 1997 Gattaca, 1997 science fiction film set in the future where people's life opportunities are determined mostly by their genetic makeup. The film tells the story of a natural born man, I guess a human like us, who assumes the identity of a gen genetically engineered one to achieve his dream of becoming whoosh, an astronaut. Vincent Freeman is navigator first class at Gattaca Aerospace Corporation, but everybody calls him Jerome. He's cheating the system, but it works in the guise of Jerome Morrow. Vincent has qu quickly risen through the Gattaca's ranks and he's preparing for a one-year flight to Titan, Saturn's 14th moon. I'm going to stop there. I'm getting all excited. Here we go. Here's the quote. I was never more certain of how far away I was from my goal than when I was standing right beside it. What a beautiful quote. Jacob, talk to me. Imagine having your goal to be an influencer with money and cars, whether or not this person actually has it, they're depicting it and getting up each and every morning on your phone, the first thing you wake up and viewing that. So although the process is a little different than in the movie, so I think cyber psychology would say, look at the potency and the frequency with which you can view the desired life you want. Now imagine how that's impacting your neurobiological system. And we already know how it's impacting it. Individuals have central nervous system upregulation on a daily basis, which means that their um, neurobiological connections are elevated chronically more so there's it's yeah they go down to a rest period but that rest period is chronically elevated because they're chronically exposed to that stimuli i look at a screen i look at the computer i'm back on my phone i'm back on my big computer so um i think that that process that we see in gattaca is even more potent right now in our world just from sheer accessibility and exposure to uh, mobile technology and internet use yeah. Thank you, Jacob. But it reminds me of, well, I won't say a psychologist <laughs> once told us to me, but w what are you reaching for? Sometimes you're right where you're supposed to be. The goal is right there near you. You're at it and you just don't recognize it or accept it. But that's a whole other show, goal setting and achieving. Let's turn to Roberta Moore and Roberta A. Moore. I have to put the A into my notes here. I put it on your name on the video. I want to respect middle initials. I never go anywhere without the D. So there you go. Roberta Moore has sent us a quote from Roberta Amor from Carl Jung, his collected works, volume 18, okay, 1407. This must be the page. Carl Gustav Jung, 1875 to 1961. I didn't realize he had died in, in 1961. So he's almost modern times, really. I consider 1961 
recent history, I'm sorry, was a, don't say a word, was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who founded analytical psychology. His work was influential in the areas of psychiatry, anthropology, archaeology, literature, philosophy, and religious studies. They had such wonderful bios for these people. He worked as a research scientist at the famous Bergholzli Hospital under Eugen Bluler and came to the attention of who else? Dr. Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychoanalysis. The two men conducted a lengthy correspondence, but it wasn't by email, I can tell you that, and collaborated on a joint vision of human psychology. And here we are today. Here's the quote Roberta A. Moore has selected. Technology harbors no more dangers than any other trend in the development of human consciousness. The danger lies not in technology, but in the possibilities awaiting discovery. Roberta, this is gorgeous. Talk to me. How'd you find this? Well, I am very uh, Jungian oriented in my training and then in the way I live my own life and in the way that I work with some of my clients, those who are uh, open to that type of psychology. And I wanted to choose Jung, not only because his work means so much to me personally, also because he was this colleague of Freud. And at one point he parted ways with Freud mostly because of how they did dream interpretation differently and I am also trained in dream analysis so basically what this quote means to me is the medium the platform of technology in and of itself is neither good nor bad nor you know positive or negative Carl Jung always looked at the shadow side of things so just to use an example, I hear stories all day long from many of my clients who will say, um, oh, I love being able to go on social media to keep up with my uh, sports scores. I know what my team did. That's a positive. But the shadow side is, but then I have horrible anxiety. Um, the news of what the sports teams are doing or what my friends are doing and they get FOMO, you know, that, that new phrase, fear of missing out. Anxiety rates have increased for some of my clients. And so that's the shadow side of the technology. So it's, it's what you do with it. it. It's what you may stumble upon as technology evolves. You know, is it going to, is it going to take the planet up or is it going to take the planet down? <laughs> Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Thank you all for selecting such really, really interesting quotes. I appreciate that, the time you all put into it. Now it's time for our predictions. And that's what we're all about here on Technology Revolution. We call the show Tech Rev. So Chris Calabucas, let me take your prediction number one. And let's spend about 90 seconds to two minutes explaining your predictions, each one. And we're just going to go around the table, one from each of you. And let's see how many we can cover. If you want to say something about each other's, just dive in or raise your hands and wave them at me, Bonnie, call me, call me. So Chris Calabuca sent me the following prediction. Number one, crisis triggers change in the future. Will we engineer crises to trigger? Whoa, to trigger change. That's an interesting <laughs> one. Chris, go. I'm reading it for the first time. Really reading it. Chris, talk to me. Okay. So look at what's happened today with the coronavirus and COVID-19. Actually, that's the same thing, right? 
people are actually changing. And this is the same thing with humans. Humans will only change when something major happens in their life, typically. So if somebody has a heart attack, they'll stop smoking. Or if somebody, so something really negative happens, some kind of crisis occurs, that's what really triggers change. And we're seeing it right now with COVID. In fact, one of the things I was thinking about, like something, for example, something like working from home. Working from home is something, telecommuting is something we've been able to do for years and years and years and years. But a lot of companies haven't embraced it. You know, people are forced to commute. It's a terrible thing health-wise. It's terrible thing relationship-wise. So this system that we had in place was really bad for humans, this whole commuting thing. So this crisis comes along and all of a sudden, everybody's forced to work from home. All of a sudden, all these companies are saying, wait a minute, we could have done this. We could have done this. So the crisis actually pushed us to change in a positive way because now a lot of people are not commuting anymore and they're much healthier. They're having, they're, they've got time to eat better, to eat better, to exercise more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, if crises cause change, if we want some kind of change in the future, do we have to engineer, do we have to create a crisis and use that crisis to help push that change? Interesting. Uh, our guest on one of my other radio shows this week quoted Rahm Emanuel. I don't know if he's the originator of the quote, but he used it. Something about never let a good crisis go to waste. And you've heard exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And never and let the manufacturer. Some people think of that as a negative, but you know, it depends on the kind of change that you're trying to push forward, right? Because yep. the crisis, yep. the change is actually a response to the crisis. And if you think about it, what we're doing is pivoting or we're, we're responding to the crisis. And if we can respond to the crisis well, then we'll end up being stronger people. There you go. And we could say never miss the opportunity to manufacture a crisis and then don't miss the opportunity <laughs> to, to respond to it. If you think, yeah, never mind. We, we not gonna As long off. as you don't get caught manufacturing it, that's the problem. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have even gone there. Linda J. Roth, first prediction, individuals born in the digital age, and you can define that, will have higher problem solving competencies and creative thinking than earlier generations. How does this impact psychology? Go ahead, Linda. Well, um, there have been studies that are showing, you know, for a long time we've been talking about how bad video games are and kids being on the internet. And, and certainly, just like everything, there's a negative side to it and a positive side. There's a lot of studies that are showing that uh, people that at, from an early age work with digital technologies and, and, even, and even in especially video games or educational things that, that look like video games right? The, the neural pathways they have for how they solve problems are totally different than those of us that even were born in, in the industrial age. And so they come up with more creative ideas and they're faster. If you look at millennials in the workplace today, they're much faster. Um, I remember working with, with organizations and trying to get people to think of different ways to do things. And they just sit there with blank stares on their faces. Right. When you work with younger people, they have a million ideas on how to do things differently. So um, I think that's what we're going to see is a much faster paced and, and greater ideas coming from technology. I believe that's one of the good things that we have um, about it. So that was. Thank you very much. Roberta wants to say something. Roberta, you're up. Talk to me. The shadow side, I've heard about what you just said, Linda. Uh, one of my clients who's a nurse recently attended a conference and they said, our attention spans are now seven or eight seconds, like that of a goldfish, for, for the same reason. 
And I had a had an author on one of my radio shows at least five years ago who wrote a book. Our attention span was that of I think of a not just a goldfish but a squirrel, which was about six or seven seconds. So yes, yes, yes. And with all of the the media, the stimuli coming at us from go on this website, click this and do that, and pop up ads. And and meanwhile, well, even while I'm on the show now, emails are popping up on the right. I'm ignoring them and text messages. I'm not looking at them. And you can see alerts even if you've got your phone muted. You can see a little flash of something coming in on your phone, a call, a message. So we are overwhelmed. And those of us who didn't grow up, Linda, in that digital era where we're not we're not cyber natives. Oh, I don't know if I just coined a phrase. We're not cyber <laughs> no, not. We're not cyber natives, but we've had to incorporate that on our psyche, on our mental well-being. How do I respond? What do I do first? Is your life organized? And I like to say, hell no, and this is just the way I like it. Let me respond to whatever. I'll figure it all out. Thank you very much. Jacob, I'm looking. Go ahead. Chris. So uh, we just did a study. uh, My company just did a study of the recruiting industry. And we were talking about the attention span of recruiters when they look at resumes. And it's 10 to 15 seconds, 10 to 15 seconds. That's how much time you have to actually impress a recruiter. So if you think about it, we've been doing resumes all wrong. It's just got to be like one small like sentence. It's like read the sentence. It's like it'd be a very short elevator pitch. So this whole attention span reduction thing has affected many industries across the board. And we really need to work on it. The top line of your resume should be hire me, damn it. That's it. Yeah. Hire me, damn it. <laughs> now, now, you all know that on most systems today, when you're applying for a job, there is a an artificial intelligence gateway that you have to go through. If your resume doesn't right. have those keywords, it never gets to that human with the 15 second scan. Do we want this person? Hell no. Yes, I can't wait to meet you. Exactly. So we don't. So you have to write your resume. You have to write your resume for the AI and for humans. Just kind of like blog posts today. Blog posts today have to be written for search engines and humans. Unfortunately they're mostly written for search engines, which is why recipe sites have blog posts that are this long for a tiny little recipe at the very bottom. That's I don't know if you've noticed right. that. And nobody is proofing recipes anymore because you can get a recipe with 10 ingredients and they leave out the 11th one, which is key when they give you the steps. And exactly. put, put the ice cubes in the big bowl. Well, it didn't say how many ice cubes, what kinds of bowl is it? Metal is, never mind. I digress. <laughs> Jacob is waiting patiently. I said that once to a guest and they said to me, how do you know I'm patient? Jacob's first prediction. This is interesting. An increase in the incidence of digital addiction, techno stress, digital anxiety, and cyberbullying, and subsequent affective disorders. You're predicting an increase. Jacob, please unpack this for me. Well, we've already laid the framework for that right now. FOMO, multiple points of stimulization, an increase in potency for such stimulization, changing the neurobiology in the brain. The reason more affective disorders is because we're more emotionally dysregulated, right? Life was slower, absent wide-scale social media and technology, and we could respond with kind of our baseline um, emotional regulation capabilities, but now we're getting hit, we're getting hit, we're getting hit again. As I mentioned earlier, our central nervous system is kind of, we call it upregulated. It's just more energetic, right? So we've kind of shifted what those natural capacities are. And when we do that, we put ourselves at risk for more anxiety disorder. That's an effective disorder. Depression, overall mood disorder. So we're having a lot more effective there's actual time series data we're having more effective disorders among younger kids don't get me wrong there's large-scale stresses out there in our society but we're seeing a large drive of that uh, the use of technology use can account for a large percentage in, of increase of that type of that type of disorder right 
Um, the reason I put cyberbullying on there is because for me as a frontline uh, practitioner who works with psychiatric populations as well, I'm coming in and seeing kids who aren't necessarily being physically bullied, but they're being bullied in cyberspace. And that's having the exact same impact on their behavior and affective disorder, typically some sort of depressive disorder with an anxiety disorder with, you know, unfortunately in, in those situations, when I meet with those patients, suicidal symptoms as well, or self-harm. So we're seeing real tangible outcomes to kind of what's going on in these digital spaces, because for these kids, again, developmentally, when those social relationships become important, well, were you engaging with these social relationships on all the social media sites, on Facebook, on all these places? Yeah. Thank you, Jacob. Linda, talk. First Linda, then Roberta. Go ahead. Yeah, just real quickly. Um, while I, I agree with everything Jacob said, there's a lot of negativity on social media and everything. I think it also comes down to just making sure that parents are teaching children to be kind, not to be mean, same as you would on the playground, right? I mean, in, in the days when, uh, when there wasn't technology, parents would teach their children not to be mean on the playground, not to bully people. And unfortunately, it, it appears that there's not as much emphasis on not doing that in a social media setting. Thank you. Roberta. People who also, just to piggyback on what Jacob said, people who already have trouble with impulse control, uh, especially with sex addiction, there is a, certainly a rise with that because of, you know, things like Tinder uh, being readily so, uh, available to have hookups. So some, uh, some of my clients have those issues and certainly it's like a free-for-all uh, just because of the, it's readily available. Thank you. And I want to pick up one thing in Jacob's prediction that we didn't, and I'll get to yours next, Roberta. Uh, you say you predict an industry rise in the techno wellness movement and personal coaching. And my question for you, Jacob, quick question, because I want to move on is, can a troubled teen today, and any of you can answer this, but first, Jacob, can a troubled teen go and find a cyber psychologist on their own and make some arrangement with PayPal or Venmo to pay and go and start sessions without parental knowledge, without parental approval, without parental guidance? Could somebody go to you, Roberta, or you, Linda, or you, Chris, mm -mm. or you, Jacob, and engage you as a therapist. Robert, or Jacob, you want to answer this first because it's part of your prediction. You're a minor. I still legally need consent from the parent. We'll still have to follow our formal protocol for you to access services in whichever state you are located. What in. about a personal yeah. coach? What if they find a personal coach? Roberta, next. What do, you, what do you think, Roberta? Well, I was going to say the same thing as Jacob in terms of keeping your license I, and um, going by the ethical code. But I guess with a coach, uh, if somebody's unethical or doesn't hold that boundary, of course, legally, yeah, but I mean, go, legally though, there's plenty of, can't. But if you, I, I don't know if you've, know, you've probably seen this, but there's plenty of therapy apps online that anybody could just download and start using. In fact, I, I, for, as an experiment, I downloaded something called Replica. And it's not even a therapy app. It's just an AI that you get to chat with. And for some people, that's enough. They just need somebody to communicate with and bounce some ideas off of and just make them feel better about themselves. And that's exactly what this thing does. So um, now there's no licensing or anything in that. I mean, if it's an AI, how, how do you license an AI? You got to look at the algorithms and go, is this thing going to give the right kind of advice in the right kind of situations? And that's very difficult to do. And, and who would dangerous. know it? Who would know and who would yeah. report you? Roberta, I want to go, I'm going to combine your first two predictions. They go exactly where we're talking right now. Number one, you say you predict interstate bans for practicing online psychology will be erased. And then your number two prediction is additional training for telemental health will be relaxed to any psychotherapist having a license. Wow. 
Roberta, tell us more, please. Well, that's what it is now. So when I wanted to leave North Carolina and move back to St. Louis, when like I think that was seven years ago, I went to the Telemental Health Institute. There was and is such a thing um, to get training. It was online to get training to you know what do you what are the protocols? What do you have to have in place um, to do this legal uh, ethically and according to my licensure and. A lot of my colleagues, I mean, I was afraid to tell any of my colleagues I was doing this because those that I told would say things like, well, you better be careful of that. You could lose your license. You could get in trouble because they used to say not as much anymore. You can't see somebody's face necessarily the same way you'd see them in your office. You can't read body language the same you know, for me, that's never been true. I'm very intuitive. And it's kind of like when you're blind, you just develop other sensory skills to pick up other things. So I've always been a proponent of it. I think it's very exciting. Um, it, different states have had different laws. So that's why I keep my North and South Carolina, my North and South Carolina licensees, because right now you or pre-COVID, you had to have a license in the state you were and a license to practice in the state the client's in. And if you don't, you're afoul of interstate regulatory laws. Now, because we have the pandemic, that's been relaxed. You can practice interstate. And, you, and if you have a license, you don't need the additional training or certificate. Now, that's during the time of COVID, but I have a hard time thinking, how are they going to roll that back, you know, when the pandemic's over? How are they going to take that, those relationships that's already been created between therapist and client away? They're not. I don't think they are. Jacob Which is exciting to me. That's the right answer. That's what I'm hoping. Jacob. I think, I think the general population supports what we've seen with telemedicine. Again, a lot of the states have kind of piecemeal practices and not a lot of states have reciprocity across all the uh, kind of helping professions, psychologists, clinical social workers, counseling, um, LMFTs, uh, building that, building kind of a, a reciprocity exchange. Uh, here's a good point. My partner's a clinical psychologist. I'll be driving to Florida to pick her up in three weeks and bring her back to St. Louis where she has a job. Uh, she is a strong provider, specializes in PTSD and women and trauma. Um, she's utilized telemedicines with the VA since the onset of the pandemic, trying to get licensed in multiple States is takes, would take her probably over two years, right? Yeah. You have, you have three exams in the state of Missouri alone, just to practice in Missouri. And then there's multiple exams in every state. There isn't a, what I'm saying is there isn't a national identification base so that you can just practice in the continent of the United States. It doesn't exist. Every state is kind of has their own barriers. So, if we're going to expand these telemed platforms, we're going to stick with them. The law has to catch up, and then that has to be reflected in, in the professional ethics for each respective body. Fascinating. I want to move on to, we're going to do round two of predictions. Let's see. what We, we could do about four hours on this topic, I think. This is a easily a, a Pandora's yeah. minefield of, of interesting perspectives here. We might have to do a part two later in the year, so expect an invitation. Chris Calabucas, prediction number two. I love this one. Everyone will have, everyone will have a friend capital F, and quote marks around it, air quotes, an intimate AI companion who or which helps them live their life. Chris, let's keep this to about, oh, 90 seconds. I want to cover another round of predictions. Go ahead, Chris. Okay, no no worries. This is a, a little bit like what I was saying earlier. Right now, what we get is fed to us. Everything that comes into our, our 
stream is fed to us by these tech companies. So we need something to filter and help us sort of deal with the rest of the world. So the concept is that there'll be this intimate AI friend, which sort of lives in your in your earbuds or in your phone or whatever. And they're on your side. They're not on the side of the tech companies. They're not on the side of Amazon or Facebook or whoever's pushing stuff at you. They're there to help you. So you talk to them and they talk to you. So whenever situations come along, it's like your own personal therapist, friend, buddy, anything, uh, uh, emotional support animal, whatever. But they're, they're in your ears. They're talking. They're listening to everything that comes in. They're filtering things out for you and they're helping you like helping you soothe yourself as you need as you need to be soothed. And I think we need something like this because we're getting to a point now where technology is accelerated to the to the speed that human beings can't handle it anymore. Where it's already beyond us. It's already beyond us and it's already controlling us. So we really need somebody on our side to help us deal with it all. Thank you very much. Brief Oh, we've got a bunch of hands here. <laughs> Who did I see? Jacob no, talk. No, I agree. I agree. I'm thinking augmented positive self-talk is what I'm hearing. It's really yeah. an av- it's an advocacy bot. That's what it is. But yeah. it's a one that's constant right. with your stream of consciousness. Affirmation. Exactly. It can, it can out, catch your logical fallacies and stop a process that might get you more dysregulated. So it can yeah. keep you from having those processes that I outlined earlier. Linda, yeah. you want to and if you think about it, I mean... Sorry, one more thing on what you were saying. It's like, if you think about what's out there uh, that's coming at you, all these messages, 99% of them are not really real. They're fake, right? And all this, like who filters out the fake stuff? And right now we can't. We just get everything thrown at us and, you know, we believe in different ways. So it would be great if we could have something stopping these things and saying, you know, this is true. This is not true. Don't listen to this. Listen to this. And anyway, sorry. Linda didn't mean to step in and on you. And there's algorithm bias on who wrote the algorithm to filter out the true versus the fake. And, and then you've got another exactly. layer of what human created that. Linda, you want to say something, please? Well, I just wanted to say quickly, I, I was talking to my niece um, in preparation for this yesterday. She works with special education. And, um, and I was talking to her about technology. And I like your idea because a lot of times uh, people with special needs, right, they really need to have some calming thing, somebody to help them calm down. And um, so I think that would be a great idea, especially for people in the special needs area. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, It'll start on. there, but eventually it'll go to everybody because it'll be so yeah. useful. It'll help everyone. I want to go to Linda's prediction number two. Let's keep this brief. The digital age will create challenges for mental and physical health in terms of isolation as the trend toward virtual work and school environments increases. I have a friend in Florida who's retired. She reads, she goes for long walks. She plays the drum. She takes a Skype lesson a couple of times a week. Married, has a wonderful life, plays, uh, what does she play? She plays uh, bridge with other couples, she and her husband on Trickster. I think there's a, a website where you can play card games online in real time. She's on Jam Kazam and she cries every single day because of what she sees, the isolation. She can't go to the clubhouse in her community and she can't sit down at a dinner table in restaurants. She's in Florida. I don't have to tell you what the pandemic's doing there in a 55 plus. Linda, please explain this briefly and then we'll tee up one from Jacob and one from Roberta. Linda, you're up. Uh, you, you did a good job with it. The pandemic is a perfect example of how extreme isolation is hurting humans, even with the technology we have. Human beings, like all beings, you can see it in the animal kingdom too, we have to have touch. We have to have interaction to be psychologically healthy. So we're going to have to balance our techno world with still being able to have uh, an ability to socialize with people in real time, 
touch them, feel them, you know, and, and talk to them one-on-one. So it, it's, it's going to be a balance. It, it can't be all virtual. Thank you very much, Jacob. I'm moving on to your prediction number four. I like this one a lot. You say your self, identity, and dating practices. Ooh, access, affordability, anonymity, acceptability, and approximation. That's a lot of A's there, Jacob. Full sensory VR, virtual reality dating with live feedback loops supported by big data and integrative neurocomputer interface. And that would check the user's dopamine and oxytocin levels. That's the love drug, the kissing drug, oxygen saturation, blood pressure, etc. Can you unpack this in about 90 seconds? Cause I want to get one from a yes. and then we got to wrap. Go ahead, Jacob. This is fascinating. The future of online dating companies will be much more um, integrated and collect a lot more big data, right? So VR dating, the ability for me to have a date, not not just to have a message back and forth like on Tinder or some of the other digital platforms, but to actually have a virtual reality date and or experience st- different forms of stimuli in there and measure the actual data. The reason why I put anonymity is because we're collecting that level of big data. And let's say I click on a box where I share it with you or and the company. Um, we can, I'm not being, um, what's that term where you're, you're dating someone catfished. I'm not being, I'm not being lied to the per the face and the person who's there with me in that VR dating experience is the real deal. Right. And you can't really lie from some of those biological indicators. So we have the technology to boost that virtual reality date. We have technology to collect that big data. And if I could put a guarantee on it, Oh my gosh, there's some real things going on here, especially with that love drug kissing drug that we just mentioned that's actually being tracked. That would be beneficial. Yeah. Well, we see we see in a lot of our drama TV shows, we see somebody being hooked up to a lie detector or in a hospital, a, 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 a blood pressure machine and a certain nurse walks in the room and the guy's blood pressure goes whoop. And they say, oh, you got a crush on nurse, nurse Mary. I'm watching nurse Jackie. And that's I saw that. Anyway. So if the, if the AI is tracking that and there's an index for truthfulness derived from some of these biomarkers that is being fed live, I'll take that. Especially if it's a VR date. (laughs) I want to go to a prediction from Roberta. I'm looking at number three. This is interesting, and this impacts everybody in the psychology professional community. She says more client sessions will be conducted online. The majority of psychotherapists will let go of their office space and practice from home. Now, that goes back to isolation, not being the therapist is isolated. The therapist is working from home. The therapist, what does it look like? What does your background look like? what kind of an image are you projecting if you're doing it on Zoom or Skype with a, a with the visuals? Roberta, talk. We've got six minutes left to the show, so why don't you take about two minutes? This is a good one. Go ahead, Roberta. Thank you. Well, I'm already seeing this. Um, I still go to my building where my office is in the afternoons, and I'm the only one there. I don't see anybody else, and it's a building with a lot of psychotherapists in it uh, and healthcare workers, and I never see a soul. So I think, you know, people, if, if you, a lot of us who are in this uh, field have ads on Psychology Today, and Psychology Today sent an email out a few months back saying, make sure you put, if you're doing telemental health, that that's on your profile. So people, new clients know that you're taking new clients and you're taking them virtually. And I've already had a lot of colleagues saying, well, why do I need an office anymore? I don't need an office. Now, one of the things you kind of touched on, Bonnie, it used to be in the, let's say, pre-COVID days, 
practitioners were worried about clients' confidentiality on the other side, mm -hmm. meaning if they were, were they in a private space, you know, in their homes, or would somebody walk in on them, or could they be hacked? You know, the platforms are getting a little better, uh, the HIPAA compliant platforms in, in my uh, experience. Um, but I also want to just touch on something Jacob said, if I may. In St. Louis, there was already a startup company, I want to say four or five years ago, I don't know if it's still out there, called The Invisible Girlfriend. And that's what it was. The lawyer who started it gave you a girlfriend who was invisible, but she would send you even birthday presents. And he, he, he in his college, I guess he dreamt it up while he was in college to get your parent off your back if you didn't have a girlfriend or if you weren't married yet, oh. you could have this artificial pretend girlfriend. Absolutely. Yeah, that's happening huge. Apparently that's huge in Japan. That, 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 that's been, that, there's like little robots you can buy that'll send you emails during the, during the day saying, oh, I can't wait for you to get home. I think you're awesome. And you know, what should we have friend, for dinner? And <laughs> friend to friend, subscribe to a friend. Roberta, the last time I was in, when I was on Long Island, um, I went to a, I was going from therapist to therapist looking for somebody I was compatible with. And this particular, uh, particular gentleman and I just didn't gel, but he had an office in a shared space where there were five doors, you know, what's behind door number one. Well, somebody in that office suite brought back lunch from, I think an Asian restaurant and the, the garlic and the, the oil and the fried smell. And it permeated the entire place. And it was crazy annoying. Well, I didn't want to see him anymore. And somebody recommended another therapist to me. I didn't know she was in that same office suite. So I went into the, the waiting room two weeks later, he walks in with a bag for, he was out to lunch and I'm sitting in a chair going, Mm. Pulled my, it was winter. I pulled my hat and scarf over my head. I buried myself. I didn't want him to see that I was there to talk to one of the people. In the next <laughs> oh, see, this days. would be avoided if everything's online. Those days are over, aren't they? Absolutely. I want to thank my panel. We're just about out of time. You've all been wonderful. I can't remember such a chatty roundtable on any of my shows because you're all so engaging and engaged in the topic, and I really appreciate it. Listen, we all, we all want mental health at some level. The question is, how crazy do you want to be and are you going to allow yourself to be? And where is help available? And who is the right person to help you? Is it a coach? Is it a trainer? Is it a, I'm a coach, but not a therapist? Is it a therapist, but not a psychiatrist? Do they dispense meds? Don't they? Are they a, an MS? Are they uh, an M? Um, all the different letters. Uh, I've had therapists personally who were PhDs I don't, uh, and a psychiatrist when I was very little. And I've had ones who were uh, masters of social work. And I'm always wondering which one, which level of training is right for me? I need to be engaged in a physical setting, no, no more. So I may be calling one of you soon. I want to thank all of you. It's been a very lively session. Uh, Chris Calabucas, always a pleasure. Jacob Perkins, I know you haven't thank been you. feeling well, but we're so glad. Green as you are, Mr. Hulk, Dr. Hulk, we're happy to have you up. That's not how you're feeling. <laughs> Linda J. Roth, you're wonderful. And thank you so much for the introduction to Roberta A. Moore. Roberta, you're a wonderful addition to the panel. We have one minute left. So I'm going to have everybody just wave and say goodbye. And let's just wish everybody to be safe, to be smart, to be savvy. And I'm going to say it. If you're going to be in a social setting, in a physical, physical setting, wear your damn mask. That's all I'm going to say. That's from me. That's not from anybody else. Everybody wave. Thank you. Remember, 
The future Thank you so much. Now Bye. didn't happen. If somebody says the future is here, that's yesterday's future. Get over yourself. We're that's all here right. to make the future of now happen. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh